greetings, everyone. It's so good to be with you today. Uh, as you know, it's about a week before Christmas time, and of course, let me go ahead and let the elephant out of the room. You're gonna get a Christmas message today, so I hope you're prepared for this, uh, and I'm excited to uh, speak into your life about Christmas. And uh, the truth of the matter is this, that we can get so used to the Christmas season year after year after year that we can almost forget or miss the beauty of Christmas. You know, we don't forget it intellectually, but we can forget it experientially. We, with all of the stress of the holidays, with all the busyness, running errands, visiting family, the consumerism of Christmas, it's so easy for us to lose proper perspective. And so I want to share with you, and hopefully this reminds us and puts us back into focus, my topic today is why Jesus came. We're going to be taking a look at scripture in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 20 through 23 today. I'd like to pray before I speak, though. Would you join me in prayer at this time? Father, Thank you for this time that we have together. We invite your presence to be with us in the midst of this message. I pray that you would use my words to speak through me to the hearts of your people today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Why did Jesus come? That's the question we want to take a look at today. And it's really, it's the most crucial question for us to answer because having a wrong understanding of why Jesus came can lead us in all sorts of different wrong directions. Uh, For instance, if Jesus came to teach morals, then we would think that his life was all about ethics. If Jesus came to fix the environment, then we would think that his life was all about trees and plants and flowers. If he came to model manners and teach nice living, then we would place our Bibles next to the December issue of Martha Stewart's Living, right? And so having the proper perspective is very crucial in understanding why Jesus came. Now, that being said, I also want to note that there are many different reasons that are listed in the Bible as to why Jesus came. I simply want to highlight three things that we see in the text of Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. Would you join me in scripture? Verse 20 reads this way. While Joseph thought about these things, an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream. The angel said, Joseph, descended of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the baby in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this happened to bring about what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be pregnant. She will have a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So from the text, we can see very clearly one of the first reasons why Jesus came, point number one, is he came to fulfill truth. Verse 22 says, all of this happened 
to bring about what the Lord had said through the prophet. You know, our Bible foretells the coming of the Savior. It describes his birth, the necessity of his birth, the nature of his birth, a child born of a virgin, and other nuances that are essential to understanding God's plan of redemption. In fact, there were over 366 prophecies of Jesus Christ dating back to the beginning of time. And about 40 to 50 of these 366 messianic prophecies uh, concern the coming Messiah. And here are just a few of them I want to share with you. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. A messenger will prepare the way for the Messiah, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. The Messiah will enter Jerusalem as a king riding on a donkey. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. The Messiah will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11, 12. One scholar said that approximately 28% of the Old Testament verses contain prophecy and about 21% of the New Testament. Perhaps this is why the Apostle Peter wanted us to know this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. He reads this way. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he wants us to know that the Bible is largely a book of prophecy. And we must understand that Jesus' coming was not this backup plan. It wasn't plan B, plan C, plan D. It wasn't something that caught God off guard. He was not surprised in the garden about sin. Jesus was there from the very beginning. He has always, always, always been plan A. And Christmas exists because Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. And if Christmas is not true, then the Bible is also not true. I recall the story of the famous Greek language scholar, publisher, Dr. E.V. Renault. Renault was best known for translating uh, Homer's Odyssey in 1946, the Iliad in 1950. And Renault was this lifelong skeptic, agnostic, However, he was presented with this Gospels translation project in 1952, translating the Gospels from Greek to English. And in doing this, he had very purely secular motives in doing so. In fact, he said this about the project. Now, my personal reason for doing this is my own intense desire to satisfy myself as to the authenticity and the spiritual content of the Gospels. Now, Renault had a son as well who also made a statement about his father's upcoming task of translating the Gospels. He said this when he heard the news. It'll be very interesting to see what my father makes of the Gospels. It will be still more interesting to see what the Gospels make of my father. You see, Renault again, was this lifelong 
agnostic. An, an, an agnostic is a person who believes that nothing is known or can be known of the existence or the nature of God. But through his time translating the Gospels, he experienced this personal change, this transformation in his life. And at the end of the project, Renault said this, it changed me. My work changed me. And I came to the conclusion that these works bear the seal of the Son of Man and God. And they are the Magna Carta of the human spirit. And so Renault became a Christian, became a follower of Jesus Christ simply through translating the Gospels. You say, well, how did he do that? Because when you begin to compare biblical prophecy to the life and work of Jesus Christ, the result is always truth fulfilled. Maybe you're someone who struggles with doubt. Maybe you're not quite sure yet what you really believe. Maybe you even have more questions than you have answers to at this time. I want to challenge you in this area. Get into the word of God. Start with the gospel. Start a, a, a reading plan, you version. Get, there's so many options out there available. Get connected with us on our Discovery Wednesday Bible studies. But I want to challenge you in this. I want you to see that the witness of Jesus's work and his words are preserved very carefully in the Gospels. And when we get into his word, we begin to see and know the truth that he came to bring. So the first thing I want you to know as to why Jesus came, number one, he came to fulfill truth. Secondly, he came to save us. Let's go back to the text. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It reads this way. She will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Sin is any act regarded as a transgression, especially a willfully or a deliberate uh, act, a violation against God's moral law. The biblical definition of sin is missing the mark. Think for an example, a king who gathers his army of archers together and he wants to test them to see if they can hit the target with their bow and arrow. And those who miss the target are disqualified. But it means a little bit more than just being disqualified. It means more than just missing the bullseye from time to time. It means to miss the mark and so to now not be able to share in the prize. You see, sin takes away our capacity to live a life that's pleasing to God. And that's why we need to be saved. That's why we need to be rescued. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 34 through 36. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know, as a people, we are naturally proud, aren't we? 
We don't like to think of ourselves as a slave to anything. But the reality is this, we were slaves to sin because we were obedient to sin. And as slaves, there was nothing we could do to free ourselves because the Bible says that we love darkness more than we loved light. And so God took action on our behalf in order to rescue us from spiritual slavery. God had to do two things. One, he broke the power of our previous master. Jesus, when he became man, he lived this sinless life. He died as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. He rose from the grave. And in doing so, he broke the power of sin and darkness. He broke the power of our previous master. That's one thing he did. But he didn't stop there because it would have been so easy for us just to fall back into alignment with our previous master. No, he did something else. He also enabled us to become obedient to a new master righteousness, being made right with God. You see, our righteousness is not based on anything that we have done. Our righteousness is solely based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, the work that he did on the cross. And the righteousness that was Christ is now counted to us. And now we are then seen as righteous in the eyes of God. You may be watching online today, and you may have never before accepted Jesus Christ into your life. I want you to know that I want to give you that opportunity that salvation is available to you today. And at the end of our time together, I want to pray with you so that you can receive and have the assurance of salvation in your life. I remember a long time ago, some 15 years ago, now, my wife and I went uh, for our honeymoon to Puerto Rico. We were blessed with the, with the trip to Puerto Rico. We loved our time there, went sightseeing, went to the rainforest. Uh, one of the days we stayed at the resort on the, the private beach that we had there. And we both grew up in Virginia Beach, so I've been around the beach. I've been to the ocean before, you know, and uh, during our time there on the beach, I was like, well, I'm going to go out to the water. I just want to sit here the whole time. And so I go out to the, to the water, you know, about waist deep, and I'm just kind of swimming around, checking things out underneath the water, picking up things, you know, that's kind of stuff that you do in the ocean. And you ever been in the ocean and then, you know, you're, you're out there and then you go underwater sometimes, you come back up and then you're in a different place that you were before? Like, you know, sometimes you're to the, way to the right or way to the left, depending on the tide. Well, one of the, while I was there, I began to look up and I looked and I'm like, man, Kelly's a, my wife, Kelly, who was on the beach, she was a lot farther away than I originally thought. And I began to look around a little bit. I'm not waist deep anymore. I'm more chest deep uh, now. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't really swim, you know, back out anymore. What's going on? You know, and so I'm thinking about this. And I was like, well, let me come in a little bit. And I start swimming a little bit more back in. I'm swimming, you know, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming. You know, if you're a parent, you know that song very well. Um, and so swimming back in, and then I look up, and then I'm no closer to where I was than before. She's still so far away from me. And I'm like, what is going on? And then I realize, uh, well, I didn't realize. After the fact, I realized I'm caught in this rip current. I'm caught in this what, the riptide, whatever you want to call it. But everything, my effort that I was doing to try to swim back to the shore was in vain. I was getting nowhere and I was getting very tired. My arms were getting very tired. 
Before you know it, I'm being, I feel like I was being pushed back further and further out to sea. And it's up to my neck now. And I'm not tall as it is. So, you know, it doesn't take much. And I'm up here. And now I'm getting a little worried. I'm getting a little afraid, you know. stuff starts running through my mind. This is it. You know, I got married. We've been married for like three days and this is it. This is how my story ends. And and I'm thinking about back home in the States and I I could see the news headline now, you know, husband dies while on honeymoon at Puerto Rican beach, uh, news at 11 kind of deal. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And so as I'm here and the the waves are just crashing over me because I'm up to my neck and and I'm starting to take in a little bit of water here and there, you know, and it's getting pretty bad. And so the only thing that I can think of doing is start to wave my arms like this. You know, I felt like really one of those uh, at the car wash, one of those inflatables, you know, that just stays up like this and you're just swimming around and you're throwing your hands all over the place. That's what I was doing because I was doing whatever I could to get someone's attention, my wife's attention, anybody's attention that I needed rescue. And thank God, you know, we didn't really have the whole smartphone thing back then. We had phones, but we wasn't, you weren't on it all the time. You weren't taking selfies. So she wasn't sitting there on the beach taking selfies and all over her phone or anything like that. She wasn't distracted. She saw me out there waving and me being sucked under water. And she, and she responded to that. And she ran out to the, to the water. Uh, she took initiative on my behalf. She ran out there and, and of course she's not going to jump in there and rescue me or anything like that, but, uh, she's out there and she's concerned and she's trying to get help. And other people start coming out there to the water and they meet me somewhat there. They knew I was, I was struggling. So they didn't come directly to me or they would have got stuck in that rip current too. And, and so they began to tell me, you know, you, you swim parallel to the shore and I'm just trying to, okay. And I'm going under sucking water. All kind of, uh, you know, my arms are, are exhausted. I'm completely tired, worried, afraid. And then I just start swimming sideways now, not swimming up anymore, swimming sideways. And eventually, uh, and, and as the waves are coming in, I'm, I'm stopping in those moments and I'm hunkering down into the sand so it doesn't move me too much. And then I'm starting again, hunkering down. You know, that's just kind of what I did. And eventually it was safe enough for them to kind of grab me and walk me back up to the shore. A couple things went through my mind after I fell face planted right onto the right onto the sand because I'm just exhausted. A couple things came to my mind. One, I was humiliated. Uh, I'm a grown man out here needing to be rescued. Uh, And I can swim, but it just was crazy. And then the second thing that came to my mind was gratefulness. I was so grateful to be alive. I was so grateful that my wife saw me in my current state and took initiative on my behalf. And then she got some other people involved to help bring about this rescue. And what that means for us in our spiritual lives, as I, as I, as I look at it spiritually, God saw us back in our former state. He saw us out in that water. He saw the weight of sin crashing over us like waves deep down. And he took initiative on our behalf. He reached down and pulled up us, us up out of that mess, all because of his love for us. And it wasn't just, it was the, the heavenly team. The whole team got involved with this. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, they were all connected in this spiritual rescue. You say, how? Well, the Father sins, the Son atones, and the Holy Spirit empowers. They do this because they took initiative on our behalf, and because of they, they, they did, that they did that, we can now be saved. 
Knowing that God took initiative on our behalf, our response is the same as my response when I got back on that beach, is gratefulness, gratefulness. And maybe you're someone who struggles in that area of gratefulness. Maybe you're not necessarily an ungrateful person, but we can be so consumed at times with everything that's going on around us that we can forget, we can be unaware One, that Jesus Christ has saved us. He reached down and grabbed us up out of that mess. But two, just the little things in our life, the little blessings that he has for us every single day. And I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to to have a gratitude journal. Establish this daily practice, reminding yourself of the gifts, of the grace, of the benefits, of the good things that you have in your life. And I want to encourage you to be very specific in writing this out. Every single day, this is something that happened today that I'm so grateful for. Why do all of that? Because we can remind ourselves, we can go back and look at something that happened yesterday and remind us ourselves that the same God who did that yesterday is the same God who's going to do this again today. This is one of the most powerful ways to rewire our brain for more joy, for less stress, especially during the holiday season, is to focus on gratitude. And the best response to God's rescue is daily gratitude to him. So the first thing that I mentioned that we see why Jesus came, one, he came to fulfill truth. That means to validate the word of God. Secondly, he came to save us, save us from our sins. And third and finally, he came to be with us. Matthew chapter one, verse 23, it reads this way. The virgin will be pregnant. She will have a son and they will name him Emmanuel which means God is with us. The implication of Emmanuel is that God would now dwell among his people. Up to this point in the Israelites' story, they had only seen a type of this kind of dwelling. God was contained to the holies of holies within the tabernacle. And so now the thought that God would take on human flesh and live among us was beyond even their wildest imagination. But the truth is this, that God wants to be so intimately involved with our daily lives that he will go to great lengths in order to make that happen. He didn't just save us to leave us. He's present. His desire is relationship with us. His desire is longevity with us. He's not just this fan that's in the stands cheering us on from afar. No, he's our coach right there on the sideline with us, uh, encouraging us, calling out the plays as we follow his leading. He celebrates the victories that we have in the game. He is with us during the losses that we have uh, during the game. You know, he is God with us us. I love what Rich Velotis, who's a a pastor in New York, an author, he said this. He said, God with us, not God against us, not God apart uh, from us, not God apathetic towards us, 
No, it's God for us. God, one of us. God, empathetic towards us. You see, apart from him, I can do nothing. But in him, I have everything that I need to live the abundant life he gives me in Christ. I love what Paul Tripp, the famous author and speaker, says on this topic. He says, the Bible is the story of a love drama that looked as if it would end in tragedy, but then Jesus came. I came across this story a few years ago of this young family out west. The husband and wife had gone through some very rocky times. The young wife had become so disillusioned with the stress of her marriage, with the responsibility of being a mother, that she just wanted to get away. And one morning, the husband awoke to a note beside him in their bed, and his wife was gone. And he agonized about her leaving, but he, he felt that she needed some space. And so he didn't try to follow her. He did, however, call her on his cell phone that day and every day for more than a week. And when he was on the phone with her, he told her that he loved her. He begged her to come home. And she listened to what he had to say. And oftentimes he would hear her weeping on the other end of the line. But she stubbornly refused to come home. As Christmas time began to approach, the husband became more intentional. He hired this private investigator to help locate her. About a week later, the detective found her, stumbled across her in this low-budget motel in a bad area of Las Vegas. And without alerting her, he contacted the husband back in California. Several days before Christmas, the wife is sitting there on this lumpy motel bed, very dimly lit room. Now keep in mind, at this point, she's about as lonely as she has ever been in her entire life. But she hears a knock on the door, and so she cautiously walks over to the curtain. She peeks to see who it is, and then her heart begins to leap. She runs over to the door. She removes the chain link lock, opens the door. She falls into the arms of her husband. And he began to repeat some of this same familiar speech that he had said over and over again on the phone. We love you. We need you. Please come home. This time, the wife began throwing all of her belongings into a bag, ran to the car, and they went home. About a week later, the Christmas tree's back up in the attic. The kids are back in school, and he asked her, why did it take you so long to come home? He said, I begged you to come home over and over again, at least a dozen times. What took you so long? And she looked at him and she said, you told me that you love me. You told me that you needed me. But those were just words until you actually came. You see, I relate to the wife in this story. You probably relate to the wife in this story. 
There have been so many times in my own life where I was just like, God, where are you? And for some of us, this Christmas season, it's not this Merry Christmas. Maybe it's a blue Christmas. Maybe you're dealing with a lot of chaos in your life at this time. Maybe you're feeling lonely, like the wife in the story. Maybe you're feeling forgotten. Maybe you're feeling depressed. It's not all merry and bright for you at this season in your life. And I want to acknowledge that reality for some of us. But at the same time, I want you to know the assurance and the hope that comes from a God who is with us. That God is very much with you during all the pain, during all the hurt, during the seasons of loneliness, during all the difficulty that you may be experiencing. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe, rather than just hearing that God loves you, he put words into action and he actually came into our situation. No one would go through all of that unless they wanted a relationship with us. I want you to see today that it was God who took initiative. And from these three reasons as to why Jesus came, it becomes very clear what God, his major reason for sending Jesus to this earth, it was for a loving relationship with his children. By fulfilling truth, we can trust in the validity of the Bible. We can trust in the person of Jesus Christ. By saving us, he provided this pathway for our sins to be removed. Because of Jesus, he holds nothing against you. Your sins are gone. They've been taken away. And by being with us, he makes his heart intention very clear that he loves you. Every single one of us are loved by Almighty God. Earlier in our conversation, I mentioned that I was going to give you the opportunity to accept Christ. If you have never before accepted Christ into your heart, I was going to lead you in that time, and that time is now. In fact, I want to say a prayer with you, and I want you to repeat the words after me. You can repeat them quietly in your heart or audibly with your mouth, wherever you are watching from. Repeat after me. God, I need you. Forgive me for all of my sins. Come into my heart. Live inside of me. Change me so that I can follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
friend, if you just said that prayer with me, I want to congratulate you right now. In fact, the Bible says that the angels in heaven are rejoicing at that decision that you just made, that your name is now written in the Lamb's book of life. And so I want to celebrate with you. In fact, we want to celebrate with you as a church. So on the screen and in the comment section, there is promptings for you to connect with us. They're called next steps because I'm sure you have questions about that decision that you just made. And we want to partner with you. We want to come alongside of you uh, in this and help be there for you and guide you on this journey, this decision that you just made. So praise God. Thank you for making that decision today. For everyone else, I talked about God being with us. I talked about how this Christmas season can be very difficult for some of us. Some of us may be going through different trials, circumstances, challenges. There may be a sense of loneliness, depression, pain. And I want to pray over you today, pray with you that the God of all comfort would come alongside of you right now. May I pray with you? Heavenly Father, I thank you right now for every individual that's joining with us, watching this uh, service today. I simply ask that you would be the God that you are. God with us, Emmanuel, would you surround each and every individual right now, those that may be going through difficult times, struggling during this Christmas season. God, would you take their pain and give them joy? Would you take their hurt and give them peace? Would you just surround them in the way that only you can right now? Be their God. Give them a fresh revelation of God with us. You're not only there during the good times, you're also there during the difficult times. And that's the confidence that we have, that we can go through any situation and you are there to help us walk through that. And so bless your people today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. Before we leave today, you heard earlier in the broadcast that we wanted to take Holy Communion together. And so if you have gathered some elements, some bread, some juice, anything that may be in your home so that you can partake uh, in this sacred time with us, grab those items right now. In fact, follow me over here as we partake together. The Bible declares that communion is an act of worship. It's an act of remembrance of the work that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And so Jesus said in the Last Supper, as he was meeting with his disciples, he took the bread, he held it up, he gave thanks for it, and he said, the bread represents my body, the punishment that I took for the sins of the world. And he said, take the bread and eat it and do it in remembrance of me. Would you take the bread now? Father, we think we're so thankful for your faithfulness towards us. Thank you 
for going to the cross for us so that we could be back in right relationship with the Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. And also, he took the cup. He said, the cup represents my blood, the shedding of my blood. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there were no remission for our sins, that it had to be done. And he did so for the sake of us because he loves us. He says he took the cup, he gave thanks, and then he said, drink, all of you. Thank you, Lord. Father, we're so grateful for the work that you did for us on the cross. There is no way that we could ever repay you, but we give you our life. We want to serve you with everything that we have. We pray that you would help us to be mindful, aware every single day of the work that you did for us on the cross. May we walk in daily gratitude. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, everyone, thank you so much for being with us today at Christ Church Online. It's my prayer that you have a blessed, happy, Merry Christmas wherever you're watching from, that God would be with you, and we can't wait to see you again right back here next week. Be blessed in Jesus' name.